Welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. It's a very exciting episode for me. I'm actually interviewing someone who is the inspiration behind this podcast, so that's cool. Um, today's guest is Amanda Decadne. She's a very successful photographer, actress, and talk show host, and she is the founder of a very popular, honest interview series called The Conversation, which you can find online and binge on all the videos. They are amazing and so honest. There is nothing like it out there. You can find it at theconversation.tv and you will not be disappointed. She's interviewed everyone from Gwyneth Paltrow to Sarah Silverman to Hillary Clinton. And it's just honest women sitting on a sofa and talking about life. It's just so relatable and amazing, even though the women are crazy talented and successful. So um, she's very busy, does a lot of things. And the other thing at the moment, which we talk about on the podcast is the initiative Hashtag Girl Gaze, which Amanda founded, also backed by Amanda and the editor of Teen Vogue and Sam Taylor Johnson, for one, and so many other cool women who are supporting this project. It's about finding the next generation of female photographers and really supporting them and their careers through social media, which is so interesting. The hashtag girl gaze, which you should look up on Instagram, has thousands of submissions from young girls all around the world. What's amazing is Amanda will be going through those and choosing a short list of people. They will get an opportunity to feature their work in Teen Vogue, as well as the girl gaze zine, as well as an amazing exhibition, which will be showing off all of the work. So yes, I really, I hope you enjoy this episode. We talk about so many other things and Amanda is just one of my favourite people on the internet. So this has been a really cool thing to do. So I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Hi, Amanda. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Thank you so, so much for talking to me. This is a dream guest scenario. Oh, you're so sweet. I'm yeah. sure you've had other dream guest scenarios too. Well, I mean, I... I this Gilbert will be one. <laughs> yes, I, I actually, it is quite surreal because I'm sitting in my like tiny little spare room in London and, and it's like, how am I talking to these amazing people that are like across the seas? Um, because of the magic of technology. <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, aside from that, the reason why you're talking to people across the seas is because everyone that says yes to talking to you also respects and admires what you're doing otherwise no one would say yes <laughs> I, I I'm really bad at accepting compliments especially on um on a li- on a live podcast but thank you thank you <laughs> just like turning bright red here um but I wanted to start because obviously I've followed you since um forever but especially when you launched the conversation and I couldn't believe how much of a novelty it was I feel like sad that it is so rare and how I had to binge on it because there was nothing else like it. And I'm so grateful that you did it. I wondered um, what your motivation was for doing it and, you know, why, I guess. Well, exactly to your point, there wasn't anything out there that told authentic, truthful stories about common issues that women and girls go through and deal with from body image issues to career, to love, to sex, to... um, you know, loss. I mean, there's so many things that we as those that identify as female do deal with. And I couldn't at the time I I had, I had just had my twins and I had very bad postpartum depression. And I kept, I was so 
in such a dark place. And I just needed to know that I would make it through. Mm-hmm. And so I kept, you know, I would stay up at night when I was breastfeeding, kind of Googling, you know, women who survived postpartum, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, um, and by the way, the amount of women who killed themselves after having babies. I just was Googling stuff online, just trying to understand what was going on with me. And I couldn't find any truthful stories. Um, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, so I'm, I was really suffering. And I had access to therapists. I had access to people who loved me and supported me. And it didn't make a difference. And I just thought about all the hundreds of thousands of women all over the world who felt like I did, who didn't have any therapist or any friends or a loving partner or anything. And I, I just couldn't bear the thought of so many women suffering without mm-hmm. any kind of support or guidance. And so I thought, okay, how, how can I turn this experience into something that is helpful for me and for so many other women? And I thought, I know, okay, I can find people who have, who will be willing to talk to me about real things that have happened in their life and not just, Oh, this terrible thing happened. Cause we know that, but I want to know how you survived it. Mm-hmm. How did you make it through? Because that's all I care about at this point is like, how did you do, how do you do something? Um, yeah. and so to your point, I started to put together the idea for the conversation and I, because I couldn't find it and because I knew that it was needed. And, you know, I have to say that the conversation was born out of my own desire to understand what I was going through myself and to provide something for women to be able to Google and that something would come up. <laughs> yes. you know? And one of Paltrow's the person who talked about postpartum very honestly, um, and I've heard from many people that it, it helped them tremendously. Yeah, well, that's it, because it's so clear when you're interviewing them that um, you're asking the questions that you want to know yourself, because I feel like there are interviews out there, or there are things on YouTube, but what was different about the conversation is... Um, you weren't a journalist, you were a friend of theirs. So therefore, there wasn't this layer of, um, you know, it was just so authentic. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly think that, you know, I I try to interview from the perspective of someone who just wants the answer to the question themselves. You know, like, what would you want to know if you were sitting next to me? And you could say, can you ask this? You know, it's not, and and I'm not someone who's like, oh, I've got it all figured out. And I'm coming at it from the perspective of, you know, oh, this is all the answers, you know, no, I'm coming at it from the perspective of I'm someone who's also asking questions. And it's actually gotten harder to interview over the last few years, because I feel like I have um, learned a lot. And not that I'm still learning, but I've got very different questions now. Mm -hmm. And so the kind of the the way the conversation is evolving has has been changing, which is interesting, because it's my personal journey, too. That's so interesting. It's so funny when um when someone touches on things that you're wondering about yourself. It's almost like a weird sort of coincidence, but it's like oh god, that you know they're in my mind. It's amazing. But because when the yeah. por- when the porn project uh, when you did that on the conversation, that was yeah. just I, th- there was nothing out there about that either. I know. I sort of have a habit of tapping into what is not talked about, and then mm-hmm. within kind of months to a year it becomes, you know, more people start talking about it. And I think I'm really good at identifying where there is a big white space when people aren't addressing something that should be addressed. Yeah. Or there's a subject matter that's impacting everyone that why why is no one talking about this? 
And the porn project, again, was born out of my own personal experience of trying to navigate how porn has influenced and infiltrated practically everyone's life who I know, whether that is moms who are calling me saying, oh my God, you know, my child Googled, um, there's a sporting shop here called Dick's Sporting Goods. And this one mom called me who I know and because people know I know about this stuff, you know, they call me like, what do I do? You know, their kid was searching Dick's Sporting Goods and a bunch of penises came up, Dick's came up on the screen. (laughs) And, you know, the the nine-year-old kid was horrified, you know, and distressed. And like, the mom was like, what do I say? And I said, you you know, so it was everything from moms to girlfriends of a couple of girlfriends saying, I found uh, gay porn on my husband's iPhone or, uh, you know, or my husband's friends who shall remain lameless, who would send him like, you know, like pictures of women's body parts. And I saw that and I said, that is so demeaning. And how can you be married to a feminist and allow your friends to send you this stuff? And he said, he said, I don't send them stuff. They send me this stuff. I said, well, you know what? They need to get a life, get off the internet and go get a job. (laughs) You know, it's so gross. And he said, it's really nothing. And I thought, oh my God, it's nothing. And you know what? He's right. It's nothing. It's just like naked women and bits of their bodies. And it's, it means nothing to them. And that desensitization across the board, just everybody telling me stories about how porn infiltrated their life. It really got me thinking like, what is the impact of this socially, culturally, personally? And so I wanted to find out. So we did a, I'm a contributing editor at Marie Claire and we did a big survey and what we found out was women consume porn in an almost identical way to men, which is by themselves for the purpose of having an orgasm. Mm. And it was interesting. Very interesting, I have to say. Yeah, I, I found it interesting, the, the, the common theme that basically loads of women were like, there's nothing really that, that we like because we don't get a say you know, the the percentage is so small on what actually is made for women. I was kind of anti-porn when I started this research. And then the more I, I suddenly was spending a lot of time looking at porn, which was really weird, given my objective. But what I have to say is, there is some porn that is made by feminist porn filmmakers, that is very focused on women, that is, there's a one woman called Erica Lust, who I just love. She's incredible. yeah, Yeah. And I've kind of become friends with her and I've done a lot of, covered a lot of her porn, if you will. Well, it is porn, but it's the difference between porn and erotica. And, you know, Gloria Steinem wrote a great paper um, years ago talking about the difference between porn and erotica. And the origin of the word porn eye actually means slavery. And, you know, generally speaking, the majority of porn is violent towards women. It's misogynistic. And it's not healthy, but there is a subculture and a subsection of porn that is made by women, for women, it is focused on the woman, it is not uh, misogynistic, and it's not demeaning, and it's actually a celebration of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a danger with the kind of anti-porn movement that we're shutting down people's sexuality and shaming them for it. And that is the last thing that needs to happen. Yeah. So it's really a fine line. It's like, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, go ahead. I was going to say, um, Cindy Gallup 
is is I it, love Cindy. Yeah, that that um distinction between like there's nothing wrong with porn itself. It's um it's the industry, I think she says. Right. And well, Cindy, you know, Cindy Gallup's an amazing woman. She has, you know, as you know, Make Love Not Porn. Um and then she also has um the website where it is user generated porn and a portion goes the, their their business model is that there's equal splits between the people making the porn and the website. So it's like a 50-50 split. When you buy porn on there, you pay 50% of the money goes to the actual people who make the porn. She's very interesting. She's very interesting. And again, I think there is so many different models available for content creators now from porn to short films, you know? Yeah. That, um, you know, we live in this amazing era of technology and one of the plus sides is that content creators can make things very cheaply people can have a voice people that never had a voice can have a voice and then the downside is that you know you've got the deep dark web and you've got uh you know a great place for pedophiles to hang out and you know there's child pornography rings and there is snuff movies and there's rape porn and there's there's all kinds of horrendous things on the other side of it so i'm kind of interested in you know, what, what, what does the landscape look like and how do we adjust and accommodate and live within it? Yes. With, with, with lots of different industries and how there is this common theme, sadly, sexism in the photography arena, would you say there's sexism there? Well, there is systemic sexism throughout everything, whether it is in the corporate world Um, the amount of female CEOs is alarmingly low. I don't know what the current stats are, but it's pretty dismal. Um, Women in leadership roles are very few and far between. I think it is slightly better, but not really. As a female photographer, I became a photographer um, when I was sick of being famous. Uh, You know, I, I started hosting TV at age 15, And I grew up in front of, you know, the camera, basically, on TV, in the media. And it was a very destructive thing to happen. There's no way you can grow up with a healthy sense of self when everyone's projecting onto you what they think you are. And you have no idea what you are. So you Mm. kind of go with that until you get (laughs) old enough to go, hold on a second, this is not really who I am. And it takes work to find out who you are, obviously. Um, So for me, part of becoming a photographer when I was about 22 was when I gave birth to my daughter, I was 19. And when Atlanta came, it was the most real thing that the most powerful, loving experience I'd ever had in my life. And as a way to kind of document it, I just started photographing her. And through that process, I realized I was really in love with photography and I love telling stories about, you know, not, I didn't have to be the subject of the story. Ultimately, I think that's true about me is that I am a storyteller. And I, I like to bring up certain issues that challenge people's perception of, you know, multiple things, Mm. but ultimately about the female experience. Um, And when I decided I wanted to be a photographer, I was met with such ridicule, and such pushback. And I couldn't work out whether it was because I was a well-known person and people were saying, yeah, you know, I was on the cover of a mag, a certain magazine and I went in as a job as a photographer and they all kind of laughed at me 
You know, like, why would I choose to be a photographer and start a new career when I was on the cover of their magazine? Mm -hmm. And they were like, this is a nice hobby, but you should definitely keep your day job. And I was really offended. Um, And I guess people didn't understand why I would choose beginning a new career um, that I had to start at the beginning with over being famous because fame is, you know, apparently, shockingly, one of the most desirable careers that young girls want to choose these days. So... But I did because it was truthful and I loved photography and I was sick of being in front of the camera. And I have to say that I have experienced nothing but, uh, you know, I've had, I've had a, the, the hardest time shifting. And by the way, this is like 15 years ago. <laughs> it's still difficult. Um, women photographers in my, in my age demo, there weren't anybody there wasn't anyone. There was Ellen Von Unworth, Mary Ellen Mark, Annie Leibovitz. They're 20 years older than me. So when I was coming up as a photographer, I didn't have anybody to look at and say, oh, well, she's made it. Um, there was just nobody. And in fact, a lot of the male photographers are the ones who were my friends that helped me. People like Mario Sorrenti, Glenn Lutchford, Mario Testino, they helped me. They taught me about lighting, about lenses, about film, about digital, about models, about casting. They taught me. It wasn't women because there weren't women who were, in, who were photographers. Wow. So unfortunately, that is not quite as bad. There are, there are more. But still, if you look at the top five photographers in the world, other than Inez, um, <clears throat> it's all men. And which is why I launched Girl Gaze. Um, Because also that means that a lot of the photos that exist in the world are from a male perspective. That's right. And that's not, and you know, a male, how a man looks at a woman or a male point of view is valuable. And of course, it's just that we need balance. That's all. And it's very imbalanced. And ultimately, if women, when women photograph women, the majority of the time, they'll show them in a very different light. Not always. And interestingly, I was speaking to a photographer the other day who's kind of in her 50s, and she said, um, and she's taken some pretty misogynistic photos. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, it's interesting, your point of view of women. You know, it's kind of erring on the side of being quite sexist and misogynistic, which is interesting coming from a woman. And she said, I know, I do know that. And she said, I feel like that's the adjustments I had to make to work. God, I know. And I was, she's like, and I said, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. And she said, well, it's true because you're, you're a woman in a room with all these ad execs who are men and they talk about women and view them in a certain way and they want women to be represented a certain way. And, and I did that and that's how I became successful. And I thought, oh my God. So it's true. So, you know, ultimately this year, um, what I did is basically, I realized that there's a lot of attention and focus put on the inequality of female directors and writers in the Hollywood community. But there is just as much, um, just as many issues with female photographers. So I sort of made it my mission to highlight how many incredible girl photographers and there are out in the world. And so I put together um, a project called Hashtag Girl Gaze, And along with the women who I think are some of the most acclaimed, talented women in the photography industry, 
um, Inez, who is part of Inez and Venude, the incredible fashion duo. Um, Lindsay Adario, who is, you know, a phenomenal photojournalist. Collier Shaw, who is a fashion and art photographer. And Sam Taylor Johnson, who started off as an art photographer but has moved into directing. I kind of put this, and Teen Vogue, I put together a board of women and we've we've put out the biggest kind of social media search for the next generation of girl photographers. And we've had using the hashtag girl gaze on social media. We've had over 350,000 submissions. Amazing. And the work is incredible. And I have the hard task of kind of, you know, editing it down now because we have to pick the 10 best. Those girls get to shoot editorial for the September issue of teen Vogue, which is the girl gaze issue. But that entire issue, cover to cover, is female photographers. Oh, that's you know, amazing. So we have a nonprofit um, which provides grants to female photographers annually. I've just sort of set that up. Um, we have a big exhibition during New York Fashion Week in New York to, ha- to show the girls' work. We'll be showing 50 images of the working female photographers today who are next generation and the girls who we've sourced who are unknown. Um, we have a big paddleate auction so people can buy the work online simultaneously. Um, we're publishing a book next year of the girls' work. And then we've set up something called the Girl Gaze Club, which is when if you're a female photographer and you're part of the Girl Gaze Club, you get access to reduced ins- cost insurance for your photo shoots. Uh, you get equipment donated. You get studio time. You get hair and makeup. You get models. You get business counsel. You get guidance on, you know, how to produce your shoots and how to file your taxes and, you know, as a self-employed person. And, you know, I really feel like there's a part of the business that we're, that people are not educated and supported in. So it's kind of mentorship rolled into, you know, amazing opportunities because a lot comes across my desk that I'm not able to do, but I'm able to connect brands or people with these girls now so we've got four girls working already we haven't even launched that's incredible that is yeah. absolutely amazing oh, oh it's my so god f- it's it's actually like quite emotional hearing your story from like 15 years ago and then now what what's being created oh I, I know looking through the hashtag is just amazing like there's just so many things it's it's almost hard to take in I know I know that is the hard part the hard part is that Well, look, the great news, let's talk about the great news. The great (laughs) news is never again will anyone ever be able to say, yeah, I just can't find a girl to take (laughs) take this picture. It's like, you can't miss us. So true. Yeah. It's just, they're all gathered together in one place. There's so many of them, so much talent on one hashtag, let alone all the other um, amazing outlets for the project. So when did did it uh, officially kind of launch? Yeah, we launched on Instagram three months ago. So wow. um, May. So we launched, uh, I think February, and then um, in September we're launching with a whole series of programming because one of the, the things I realized is that the girls don't. And, and for me, it's been frustrating too. It's like if you're a talented person or you have something to say, or you know, in any any medium, right? Why should we have to wait for other people to say, yeah, you're good enough. Let's look at what you're doing. The, the beauty of having peop- a voice in the world for me and I think for the other women who are on our, on, our, on our committee is that we can use our voice to direct people to look at people who no one's ever seen before. So we can use our voices 
to highlight other people's work. And that's what's happening. So you've got girls that no one's ever seen their work other than their family. And we're able to get them in front of Teen Vogue on everybody's social. So they're getting, you know, over 10 million people looking at their stuff, their pictures. And it's very validating. It's very um, self-esteem building. And, you know, this is one of the benefits of, you know, being a known person, if you ask me. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, you can get a, a restaurant, a, a table in a restaurant, um, you get sent some good free shit, and you can use your voice to help other people. Yeah. And how amazing that it can snowball so quickly. Because actually, in three months, like looking through the hashtag, there's tens, hundreds of thousands of, I know. Pi- of pictures and things going on. And the fact that you've got the Vogue uh, issue coming out really soon, it's kind of how, yeah, it's just, it's actually crazy. You know, it is. And it's kind of crazy the amount I work. I have to say that I do mm-hmm. work an insane amount because simultaneously that I'm doing this, I spent three days on the Bernie Sanders campaign trail. Um, you know, I interviewed Hillary Clinton recently for a one-on-one sit down with her. And, you know, there's a big chunk of my audience that vote that loves Hillary and a big chunk that hates her and loves Bernie. So uh, I then got an interview with Bernie and his wife, Jane, and spent three days with them, um, you know, on the road, going to rallies, in hotels. It was kind of like being on tour with a rock band, I have to say. Whoa, that's so cool. I loved I did love your Hillary Clinton interview. That was just yes. so cool. It was a totally different side to her, I thought. It was just really interesting. You know, it was such an amazing opportunity to, when you finally get to do something that's been on your wish list forever, it's kind of a trip. You know, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. But it was very interesting having spent the last kind of six months very involved in the political arena, the the female candidate, um, you know, presidential nominee, most likely going to be our future president in the United States, having spent time with her campaign and then on the Bernie campaign. And then there are a couple of senators who I adore and I work with, um, one being Senator Kiss and Gillibrand who's a senator of New York, and she does a lot of work with um, paid family leave um, and also the Equal Pay Act. I do a lot of work with her. And then a new, the woman I just started working with called Senator, um, well, she's the Attorney General, actually, Kamala Harris. She has an amazing initiative where she has government-funded the first uh, website that is for revenge porn, although she calls it cyber exploitation because if it was revenge, then it would mean that the girl's done something wrong. Right. So right. she she's just prosecuted the first two people for exploiting their ex's nude photos online. So I do work with her too. I mean, there are just, you know, there are some amazing women out there. And I feel fortunate enough at this point in my career that I'm able to work with some of them in a capacity that is helpful. The next generation are going to be um, very grateful to that as well. That's the exciting thing to be kind of, I mean, I don't have children, but I have nieces and nephews. And I just feel like, you know, thank God this is all happening. I mean, look, I don't know whether it's because my daughter has grown up in my home, but my nine-year-old daughter um, wrote an essay the other day at school, a persuasive essay about why Hillary, we needed a female president and what she would do to, um, to remove sexism. And she talked about, she talked about as a nine-year-old girl, all the places she sees she sees gender prejudice whoa and you know they they speak in a vernacular 
that is, um, you know, my friends always laugh because my kids will sit at a dinner table and talk about, they will debate with you. One is voting for, one is a Bernie supporter, one is a Hillary supporter. Twins I've got. So it's very interesting. They will sit at a dinner table and argue, uh, have their political arguments down about why each candidate should be the Democratic nominee. And, you know, and then they also... You know, one friend of mine jokes because my kids are always the ones at the table. You know, when someone's talking about a movie, you know, one of them will say, yeah, that was just very sexist, very sexist. You know, all the girls were in bikinis. They didn't really get anything to say, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, this is going so quickly. I only have like a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you as well, because I know that you um, you are obviously so busy, but you absolutely love what you do. How do you like how do you manage being so busy and being so, you know, online a lot, how do you switch off? That's a really good question. And it's a really, okay, so here's the answer to that. I do it imperfectly, very messy, um, you know, tired a lot of the time, trying to prioritize. I care passionately about my work. So it doesn't feel like work, Mm -hmm. although it is really hard. I mean, I have to say that I don't think most people are transparent about exactly how hard it is. I mean, and, you know, look, this is, I do have to work. I'm not sort of independently wealthy where I could, or I don't have like a very rich husband that funds my projects. I've never had that. And I don't have a GCSE because... I was in a, in a children's home when people were getting their GCSEs. So I don't have any qualifications. Um, and I didn't really learn anything other than through the school of life. So, you know, I think that there are definitely setbacks, things that I wish I had had experienced in or had learned um, or been taught that would have made it a lot easier for me. To, I spent a lot of time just trying to, like, catch up and figure things out because I missed out on a big chunk of life from, um, you know, in my early teens. So I... I I try to do this. I try to know that something's going to be taking a hit and I kind of move that hit around. So it's like my life consists of my husband, my, so my relationship, my children, all three of them who have different needs and different, you know, wants and different things they need at different times. My friends, my relationship to myself and my work. And one, I can't manage all those things at the same time with equal attention and focus. So, for example, this weekend, I knew that I had to take one day and not be online, not be responding to emails, and actually pay attention to my kids, like fully, not like on the phone when they're playing their basketball game. So I, I've ha- I have to move around my focus, okay? Mm-hmm. So... There are times when I realize I haven't gone on a date with my husband for a month. And then I have to say, okay, I cannot go to that work event. I have to put time into, into spending, maintaining my relationship. But something is always suffering. And then the thing I'm dealing with at the moment is how do I make sure that my brain can process all this information? And I have to say the most effective thing for me is to, to maintain my TM meditation and to exercise. Both of those things are really good for my mental health and my physical health. And I'm able to do more and be more grounded and be less reactive if I put those things first. But I don't always do that. So it's a constant 
rearranging mm -hmm. is the truth. That's such good advice. That's so it's really amazing that I guess there is no perfect answer, but also no. that nothing's ever going to be perfect. It's almost like chasing perfection is going to be even more stressful. I would just remove perfect from your vernacular. It doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't even know who made that word. I mean, I've just finished the my book and handed it in, and you know because you've written a book and actually it's come out. My book's coming out next year. But that, you know, there is a kind of perfection gene that a lot of people have. You know, and in writing this book, I was like, you know what? It's just, it's got to be, it's going to be what it is. Yes. I, I can't make it any, I can't be more than I am right now. So I'm at where I'm at. And maybe in two years time, the book I'll write will be different. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I started the conversation, it's very different than how it is now. You know, it's okay for things to change. It's okay for things to evolve. It's okay to say, you know what? This isn't working the way it is. Let me start. Let me re readjust. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That's the only way I've been able to get through it in a sane way is, you know, I could tweak the book for another five years and it could be better, but at the same and it, time... And it's never come out. Exactly. And I can always write another one. <laughs> you yes. know, I can always get better in a, in a year. I might, you know, I, and actually that, yeah, hearing you say that is, yeah, I, I totally think that way. I almost feel like it's better to to exist than live in a draw. And, you know, by the way, all the people I know, all... I've interviewed hundreds of women at this point for the conversation and every single successful woman has said to me, the difference between someone who's successful and isn't is everyone, a lot of people have good ideas, but the people who execute it and launch it are the ones that succeed. Yeah, so you just yeah. get it out there, get it out there. So, oh, thank you so much. I can't believe I've interviewed you. You are literally my favorite interviewer ever. Thank you for asking me to be a part of what you're doing and I'm really excited for you and I cannot wait to read your book. Thank you so much. If you like this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me. Also, um, tweet me at girllostincity on Twitter. I'd love to hear your feedback. So thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week. <laughs>